You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, everybody. Well, let's pray and let's get into the word tonight. I'm excited about the word and I know you are. So let's, let's pray and jump in. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you for the price that he paid. Thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection and his precious blood that has redeemed us and delivered us and set us free. And Father, we thank you tonight for the written word of God that we can approach it, Lord, and and with honor and and reverence and with faith, Father, we can believe to receive from it. And Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that he is our teacher, and so we release our faith right now and believe to be taught. We expect to receive revelation insight from your word and Father, we thank you for it. Thank you that it it will change us and make a difference in our lives. And Father, most importantly, we'll not just be hearers of it, but we'll be doers of it as well. And we love you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, we uh, this is week number nine in our series called Understanding the Times and the Seasons of the Lord. And as I've said to you over and over again, really what we're talking about is is walking in the will of God, the perfect will of God for our lives. And uh, <clears throat> you know, we have been looking at several scriptures repeatedly, and I'll just make mention of them. We won't necessarily turn there for the sake of time. But we were talking about, and the whole series is kind of based on Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, where Jesus rebuked the religious leaders and told them, you know how to look at the weather, you know how to look at the sky, and you know how to be able to determine and discern what's going to happen and so forth, but you're not able to discern the signs of the times. In other words, they weren't able to tell what God was doing, how he was moving in the earth at the moment, and of course, they completely missed it where Jesus was concerned and and uh, didn't even recognize him for who he was. And so, The Lord, uh, just to review, the Lord spoke to my heart uh, as we were uh, praying and seeking God about where to go with these particular series of lessons. And uh, the Lord said to me that he said that a large portion of the body of Christ do not know how to understand or discern the, the seasons of the Lord. In other words, what God is doing, how he is doing it, Uh, not only in uh, the overall body of Christ and what he's doing in the earth, but also in our personal lives as well. And so we've been studying that quite extensively. We've looked at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And uh, Paul told us, he said, make the most of the time, buying up each opportunity. That's what the Amplified Bible says. And then he said, don't be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. And so if if he tells us by the Holy Spirit that for us to take hold of the will of God for our lives, then it must be possible for us to do that. And, you know, as I have said, there's a great misbelief in the body of Christ that The will of God is some mysterious thing that we can neither understand or be able to fathom with our limited thinking. And, you know, to a certain degree that that is true, it is vast, it is awesome, but I do believe that God intends for us to be able to understand it and to be able to walk in it in our lives. Matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul prayed, and this is a prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Colossae, and he said that that they would be filled, he prayed that they would be filled with the full, deep, and clear knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom, and then the Amplified adds parenthetically, in comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God and an understanding and discernment of spiritual things. And so the, I don't believe it's, it's only possible for us to 
um, understand, you know, the, the specifics of the will of God, but I believe it's possible for us to understand the ways of God, how God operates, how God thinks about certain things and, and what his attitude and mindset is towards certain things. And I believe God wants us to be able to understand those things. You know, Paul wrote and he said, imitate, uh, he said, follow me as I follow the Lord. But then in another scripture, he said, be imitators of God like little children. Well, it's hard to imitate somebody you don't understand. And so uh, it is the will of God for us to be able to understand the Father. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me when I say this. Um, God is God, and he always will be God. And the wonderful thing about him is that Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that throughout all eternity, when we get to heaven and we're all living there and, and so forth, there are going to be things that we learn all the time about God and his love and his goodness to us uh, that we haven't seen before just because he is so vast and he is um, so huge, you know, just you're not going to be able to understand him in, in a lifetime. It's going to take eternity, the Bible says, for us to be able to fully grasp his goodness and grace and his mercy in our lives. And so we've been spending some time talking about how do I find the perfect will of God for my life? Well, we said, number one, the, the word of God is the will of God. So in a general sense, you're going to be able to go to the written word of God and find out what the will of God is for your life. There are going to be uh, parameters, bumpers, if you will, that uh, will guard our lives or keep us in check, so to speak, if we choose to obey them. And so you can learn how to live and govern your life by the written word of God. You know, one of the things I love about the book of Proverbs is that, uh, you know, the first chapter in, in the first few verses say the purpose of the book is to give wisdom to those who are simple. In other words, those of us who are hungry and want to know the wisdom of God, God wants to make that available to us. And the scripture goes on to say, for the purpose of us being able to live out successful lives, to have good lives. And so, God's wisdom has been made available to us, and the written word of God is the primary way that we find that. The second thing that you do to find the will of God for your life is you ask. You inquire of the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me, James chapter 1 says, if, if any of us lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and abrades not. In other words, he doesn't rebuke you for asking. No, he wants us to come to him and ask him and believe God for wisdom and to ask him, Father, what is your will, plan, and purpose for my life? And then that ties into number three, and that is delight to do the will of God. Now, I'm going to give you a little helpful hint here, and uh, that is this, is that you have to want or desire to do the will of God before you will ever find out what the will of God is for your life. Uh, let me say it to you this way, and this might sound like a hard saying, but it's true anyway, and that is this. God will not waste his time revealing his plan to someone who has no intention of walking it out. Uh, number one, that's just not part of his character, but the flip side of that is it takes faith for us to walk out the will, plan, and purpose of God. And so what you and I have to do is we have to give him the green light and say, okay, God, I want to fulfill your will, plan, and purpose for my life. I want to walk out your will for my life. And so therefore, I give you permission to reveal it to me. And as we've been saying, you know, he'll reveal it to you in steps and stages and uh, show you one step at a time what you're supposed to do. And as you take that step by faith, He'll reveal to you the next step and, and just continue to lead you that way. Number four, and we spent a couple of weeks talking about this, and that is pursue the wisdom of God's way. And this ties into what I said earlier, but, um, you know, if you're hungry for the wisdom of God, you know, I love, again, the book of Proverbs says, if we will pursue after God's wisdom, the scripture says in, in her left hand, is our riches 
and in her right hand is honor. And so if we will pursue after the wisdom of God, it's almost as though both of those things come hand in hand with it. You know, I think where we get off in life sometimes is when we pursue the side things and not the main thing. And what we fail to understand is, is that the side benefits, if you will, will come when you seek the primary thing, which is the wisdom of God. And so I want to start tonight in getting very, very practical in this. And again, none of these things that we're talking about are necessarily new. Uh, they might be new to some that are on here, but I've taught on these things before. But as I always tell you, we and we talked about this a little bit Sunday, you never get things hearing it once, twice, three times, four times. Sometimes it takes many times hearing the same truth over and over and over again before the revelation finally comes. So as we talk about these things, don't uh, let the mindset creep in that says, oh, I've heard that before, and you just kind of turn it off until we get to something that maybe you think you haven't heard before, all right? So if you're, if you're turning in your Bibles or looking at your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now, again, we're getting very, very practical, so there's a couple of things that I have to establish uh, first before we get to the how-to, and that is this. Number one is you need to understand you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. You are a spirit being, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. Now, I don't have time tonight. You know, this that's a teaching in and of itself. And uh, as I said in, in other lessons on the website, I've gone into great detail on it. But, <clears throat> excuse me, you are a spirit being made in the likeness and image of God, and you possess a soul made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then, of course, you live in a physical body. Your, your physical body is what enables you to move and to function here in the earth. Uh, you lose that body, you lose your right to stay here in the earth. And then you step over into eternity, and you go uh, to one of two places. You go to heaven based on uh, you're receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, or you spend an eternity in hell separated from God. Uh, but again, the decision is ours. Now, I said all that to say, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Paul said this. He said, I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So specifically, Paul spells out here in this verse um, that you are three parts, that you are a spirit being first, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, if your mindset is, is that basically you're a two-part being, that you uh, you know, you, you, you have a spiritual side of you and you just live in a body and, and that's your understanding, then you're going to have a hard time, very hard time understanding and receiving revelation from God. Now, the thing that you need to understand is any revelation that you receive from God is going to come into your spirit. If you'll remember, we talked early on and we said that uh, Matthew chapter four, or excuse me, John chapter four, rather, Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit, and he is going to relate to you spiritually. Now, that's not to say he won't uh, use natural things occasionally, but his primary way in dealing with you is going to be spiritually. And so, you know, just right now, make up your mind, okay, so if I want to know what the will of God is, then I'm going to have to stop looking at all these external things to tell me what God's will is and begin to look inward in my spirit because that's where God's going to bring that insight to. So Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, go over there with me. And this is another verse that just supports what we're talking about. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. 
Again, very familiar scripture. Paul said this, he said, for the word of God is living, and the old King James says it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So in this particular verse, Paul lists out there the three parts of man. He said the word of God is what is able to make clear division between what is your spirit and what is your soul, and then joints and marrow, of course, which is our physical parts, uh, the parts of the body. You know, there are going to be times when you're going to have a hard time uh, discerning or looking at things and trying to figure out, okay, is this spiritual or is this natural or, or so forth and so on. And really the only thing that's going to be able to make that clear cut is the word of God. Is It is the only thing that can bring clarity as to what is spirit, what is soul, and what is body. Okay. So we need to clearly understand that. So right off the bat, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Now, prior to your receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your spirit man was dead. He, he was functioning, but he was dead. He was not alive unto God. Spiritual death is not like physical death, where we equate physical death ceasing to function. Spiritual death is you're able to function, but spiritual death simply means this, separation from God. And so before you were born again, all of us were spiritually dead. That's the way, unfortunately, because of Adam's sin, we're born into the earth, dead and separated from God, okay? And so that's what requires us to have to be born again. So when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your spirit is born again, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, again, a familiar scripture. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The, the new living says that he has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. So this miracle, and by the way, this is the greatest of all miracles that the Spirit of God performs, and that is the new birth. <clears throat> and it's the most important miracle that the Holy Spirit could do in someone's life. And that is to somehow, and I don't totally understand how he does it, but somehow he takes out that old dead man and breathes into you and causes your spirit to be reborn. And now your spirit, after receiving Christ, is alive unto God, is brand new. That old sin is gone and been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Now, here's one thing that you have to understand is, and this is the next thing, again, your spirit, soul, and body. So your spirit is born again, but the next thing is, is your soul must be saved after you're born again. Now, your soul salvation and your spiritual new birth are two different things. And I know we run it all together in our terminology, but it is two different things based on the Word of God. Go over with me. You're there in Hebrews. Go one book over to the book of James. James chapter 1. So again, our souls must be saved after we're born again. This is something that takes place after we are born again. So your spirit is made brand new. The Bible says that you are a spiritual baby when you get born again. Uh, and, and so growth is required at that point. We'll talk more about that a little later on. But what needs to happen to your soul? You remember your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Those were not affected by the Spirit of God when you received Christ. So there is a work that begins and can begin after the new birth which is called the saving of your soul. So James chapter 1, verse 21, I'm going to read it from the New King James, and then I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. And uh, by the way, 
In verse 2 of James 1, Paul, or excuse me, James refers to the people he's writing this letter to as my brethren. So that tells us these people are born again. They have received Christ. They have been, their spirits have been saved. But notice what he says in verse 21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness or teachability, be teachable, the implanted word of God, which is able, notice this, to save your souls. And again, I know how we say, you know, um, we used to say, you know, if Billy Graham came to town, you know, that there were thousands of souls that got saved that night. And I understand what we were trying to say when we said that, but it's really not accurate. It's how many people were born again, okay? Soul salvation begins after the new birth. And, and James says that that in the Amplified, so get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness and in a humble, gentle modest spirit, receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your heart or in your spirit contains the power to save your soul. Now, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says it a little differently. He says this, he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So James says uh, you need to get your soul saved by the word of God. Paul said this, you need to renew your mind with the word of God. You need to change your thinking. So it is possible for someone to be born again, to be alive unto God, to have God living on the inside of him, but to be spiritually immature because he has never uh, allowed the word of God to go to work to begin to save your soul or renew your mind, changing your thinking, changing your thought processes so that you begin to think in line with the way God thinks. And so as we grow spiritually, our soul should be being saved or renewed. Our minds should be being changed. Our, our thinking should be changed. And that is what causes transformation to take place in our lives. It is not just the new birth. All of us probably can remember and think of somebody, you know, that in our lives, if not ourselves, that, you know, you might've given your heart to Christ, but because you weren't hearing the word of God or are being fed the word of God, you didn't grow spiritually. It's not automatic. And the reason being is because your thinking wasn't being changed and there was no life transformation that was happening. All of that happens as you feed on the word of God and your soul gets saved, okay? So I wanted us to understand that. So that takes care of our spirits. Our spirits are born again. Our souls have to be renewed by the word of God. Thirdly, what do we do with our bodies? What are we supposed to do with these flesh bodies that we live in? Well, Romans 12, 1, Paul tells us, he said, for us to give our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And so what we do is we learn through the Spirit of God and by the Word of God to control our bodies and not let our flesh bodies dominate us, not let our desires of our flesh dominate and control us. And that happens as you change your thinking, as you grow spiritually, your flesh will become weaker and weaker as your spirit becomes stronger and stronger. Now, this is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. <clears throat> but the good news is, uh, you know, and some teach, and I don't agree with this, but some teach that we're just doomed you know, to sin and be sinners for the rest of our existence here in the earth, even though we're born again. And yes, we are human. Yes, we do live in a flesh blood body. And yes, we do live in a broken world. But I believe our ultimate goal needs to be to sin less and less and less and not just throw up our hands and say, well, you know, that's just the way it is. I'm just going to sin between now and the time I go to heaven. No, our, our desire ought to be 
to sin less and less and less. And, and of course, we won't arrive to full perfection till we go to heaven, but you can get to a place where you are sinning less and less and less and, and even get to the point where you can't remember the last time that you sinned. I believe that that's possible. So I don't, I don't agree with those that, you know, just kind of resolve and say, well, you know, that's just the way it is. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Okay. All right. First Corinthians chapter nine, don't turn there for the sake of time, but verse 27, Paul said this, he said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. That's the new living translation. So you and I have a responsibility to train our physical bodies uh, to what our spirits want it to do, what God wants us to do in our flesh bodies. Now, you know, just to give you a couple of examples. Number one, you know, there are times, yeah, I'm a pastor, but there are times I wake up on Sunday morning, I don't feel like going to church, okay? And that may sound crazy, but it's the truth. But I don't let my flesh dominate me, you know, especially when it's cool and wet and rainy outside and it'd be just real easy to turn back over and go to bed. Well, I can't do that. I have responsibilities and I have spiritual responsibilities and I cannot let my flesh dominate and control me. I wish a lot of Christians thought that way because you'd be surprised at how many Christians when it rains don't show up to church. But anyway, that's all another subject. But, I, you know, you have to discipline your flesh. You have to tell, and when I say you, I mean your spirit, man. You have to tell your flesh what it's going to do, when it's going to do it. I don't always feel like reading my Bible. I don't always feel like praying. My flesh comes up with other stuff that it would like to do. Well, no, this is a time we've set aside for, for our devotional time. So we're going to spend some time reading the Word. We're going to spend some time in prayer whether my flesh wants to do it or not, okay? Then number three, or, or excuse me, number two, the other thing I need you to understand, basic, basic, is not only are you born again, but number two is God lives inside you. He lives in your born again, recreated spirit, okay? And it's very, very important that we understand that. So you are born again. When you receive Christ, you became a new creation. And then that old dead man was taken away and, and the, the new man became alive on the inside of you. And the moment that happened, God in the person of the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you. First John chapter four and verse 15. Again, don't turn there for the sake of time. Just make a note of it, but listen to this. And this is the Amplified. It says this, John said, anyone who confesses, who acknowledges, who owns that Jesus is the Son of God, in other words, you've been born again, God abides, he lives, he makes his home in him, and he abides, lives, and you make your abide, live, and make your home in God. So God moved in on the inside of you, and you became a part of him at the same time. So the reason I'm saying this is don't spend all of your time and energy looking for God out here. Look for God in here because that's where he lives by the Holy Spirit. Now, don't misunderstand me. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's, he's all-knowing, but he lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, he is going to lead you and guide you through your recreated human spirit. He's not going to lead you through your mind. He's not going to lead you through your flesh. He can use circumstances, but that's not ideal because, as you very well know, somebody else, the devil, can use circumstances too to try and get you off. And that's how a lot of Christians get out of the will of God. They look out here, they look to natural circumstances for their direction, not knowing, okay, that the devil can, can orchestrate some circumstances too. And, uh, you know, instead of looking in here, you need to understand the devil has no access to your born-again spirit. 
he can't he can't get in there and bring deception and all of that. He can mess with your mind and he can mess with your flesh, but he cannot get into your spirit. So if you're looking in here where God lives and dwells by the Holy Spirit, I promise you that is going to be the place where direction will come from. Go back with me to the book of Proverbs and uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. Proverbs 20 and verse 27. <clears throat> Proverbs 20 and verse 27. It says this, I'm going to read it from uh, the New King James, and then I'm going to read it to you from the NIV. The New King James says this, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. Okay, so let's stop right there. Uh, well, let me finish it. Searching all the in, in, inner depths of his heart. The NIV says the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's in, innermost being. So one way to look at it is this. Revelation in the Bible is equated to light. You know, if, and it, we even talk about, you know, cartoons even depict when somebody gets an idea, a light bulb shows up over their head. Well, we, you know, because we call that the light came on, the, we got light on a certain subject or a, a situation. Well, if you want light, or revelation from the Spirit of God, it's going to come to you in your spirit. That's where light is going to come to you from God. Okay, so you need to understand that and always look there primarily. So again, let's review. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. You got born again when you received Christ, and after you got born again, God moved in on the inside of you and now takes up residence in your spirit. So direction, light, revelation, insight is going to come from God in your spirit. You know, think about it. If you're sitting in church or you're sitting, you know, here in Bible study or you're watching maybe a, a message on TV or you're listening to a an MP3 or something. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, that is good. In other words, like revelation comes. It might sound like or feel like that's external, but that's coming up out of your spirit. So that revelation, when that light comes, that, you know, aha moment, if you will, when that happens, that's because that light came up out of your spirit and registered on your thinking, registered on your mind, and you were able to see it for what it really is and was, okay? Now, so your recreated spirit is a safe guide for you to follow. Why? Because God lives there, okay? So just understand this. Your spirit is a safe guide for you to follow. Okay. All right. Not your mind, not your flesh. We're trying to get our minds renewed and we're controlling our flesh, but our spirit is where God lives and it is a safe God. So how is that going to happen? All right. Well, let's, let's get into this. How, what, what are the basic things that God is going to do to bring direction in your life? Well, number one, he's going to speak to you through his word. We've talked extensively about this in this particular series, but he's going to minister to you through his word. Now, I mentioned something in, in the message Sunday that I think is very, very important. We were talking about how to write the word of, of God on your heart. The book of Proverbs tells us and other scriptures say that we need to inscribe the word upon our hearts like a tablet, like the old school tablets that they used to use, you know, with a hammer and chisel. How do we do that? Well, there were three things that I gave the folks Sunday. The first one is repetition, spending time in the word repeatedly and going over and over and over 
the same things in the word of God. Uh, I'm going to say this to you. It is not healthy spiritually for you to always be pursuing the new revelation. Um, the new thing, the new fad, if you will, the new, what is the new thing God is doing? Um, first of all, God's never had a new thing. Okay. Because he's always been, what happens is, is we catch up with him sometimes, but you know, a lot of times people will discard ancient eternal truths that are proven, tried and tested and true looking for some type of new revelation. Don't do that. Stick with what you know. Stick with what is what you know from the Word of God, and then let the Holy Ghost reveal things to you as He wills and as He desires. But what you need to do is be repetitious in going over certain truths. Uh, you know, just to give you an example, you know, there are, I tell this and you know, I, I've, I've said this in front of my mom, so I'm not saying anything new. You know, in 1977, when I gave my heart to Christ, and then I got turned on to the Word of God uh, in 1978, my mom did as well about the same time, and she ordered a set of tapes from Brother Copeland's ministry, and uh, this was 1978, and somehow or another, I hijacked those tapes uh, and got them from her, and at, it was a little four-tape set on understanding the love that God has for you. And I'm telling you, I absolutely ate those tapes up. I wore them out. And so I still have them to this day somewhere in my, my I have a couple of boxes full of cassettes and they're in there. I, now I have the MP3 version of it. But I listened to that over and over and over again because the word of God was so life-giving. The revelation was so good. Now, here's my point. I, to this day, will occasionally go back and re-listen to that because I, will, I like to stir myself up and, and keep myself refreshed on those truths that I heard. The second set of tapes that I got from Brother Copeland, uh, which was just a few months after that, was after I believed and received that the call to ministry was six steps to excellence in ministry. I still have those tapes, but I also have the MP3s. And occasionally I will go back and I will listen to those. In other words, my attitude is not this. Well, I listened to that one time. I don't need to listen to it again. In other words, I got everything out of that that I'm going to get. You, it doesn't work that way. Spiritual things are different. Um, you know, just because you ate breakfast this morning doesn't mean you're never going to eat again. I guarantee you. I mean, we saw Alan come in here with a plate full of food earlier. All right. Okay. What am I saying? Just because you eat something one time doesn't mean you never eat again. You have to eat, you know, and uh, like we heard, Judy was trying to get him to eat his vegetables. He failed in that mission, but um, I believe he'll be able to recover that later on. But my point is this. Our attitude spiritually cannot be, well, I heard that one time. I don't need to hear it again. No, the, the, there are things that the Spirit of God is constantly reminding me of, bringing it back up into my remembrance. And you know, going and, and books that I have, going and getting those books out and rereading those books. Because what you need to understand is the word of God is eternal and inexhaustible. And when the Holy Ghost does that, there is a revelation, there is something there that you weren't able to receive the first time. You remember in, in John 16, I think it's in verse 22, Jesus told the disciples, he said, there are things that I want to tell you, this is my paraphrasation, but you can't handle it right now. And that is true for us as well. You know, there are things that, you know, we get books, we get messages, we get, uh, you know, podcasts and so forth, and we listen to it and it's great. But there are things in those 
that a lot of times the Spirit of God wants to get to us, but we're not able to handle it at that moment. We're not ready for it. We're not mature enough to handle that truth. And so what the Lord will do is he'll bring that back around and let you go back and glean from it some more so that you can receive everything that he wants you to receive from the word. Um, I, I mentioned this Sunday in Sunday's message. You know, that's what the whole book of Deuteronomy is all about. You know, God gave the law and the commandments to the children of Israel in Leviticus. But how many of you know, if you've studied the Old Testament, that a lot of things, they failed and began missing God right off the bat. And so what God had to do is he had to get Moses and say, okay, and this is what the word Deuteronomy literally means is, let's go over this again. So the whole book of Deuteronomy is rehearsing all of the law, all of the commandments, all of the procedures, everything that God gave them in Leviticus, giving it all to them again. Why? Because they did not get it the first time. Well, you know, if you're a student of, of Old Testament history, you know they didn't get it then either, just like you and I don't get it a lot of times. And God has to bring those things back to you. And so the first way, again, I said all that to say this, the first way God is primarily going to minister to you deal with you and speak to you is going to be through the written word of God. And always, you know, like that scripture in James said, have a teachable, that's what meekness is all about. Have a meek, humble, teachable spirit that says, hey, it, whatever God is wanting me to get out of this scripture, I'm going to get it. You know, again, that's one thing that's wonderful about the Word of God. I don't know how many times I'd have to go back and look now. And, and I thank God for tools like the Bible app. Uh, but, you know, I, I typically read through the Bible every year on the Bible app. And as many times as I've done it, uh, you know, I would say, not bragging, but I would say at least 18 to 20 times I've read through the entire Bible, I always see something new that I have not seen before. And, 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 and that is a key is, you know, I don't approach it as, okay, God, I've read all this before. Let's, let's check this off. Let me check this off my to-do list. No, I go and I approach it and I say, okay, God, I'm looking for you to speak to me through your written word at this time. Okay. Now here's the second way that God is going to primarily lead you. Okay, and that is called the inward witness. The inward witness. Now go over with me to the book of Romans. <clears throat> Excuse me. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. And let's look at something Paul wrote here. One little verse. He says this, Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, so let me illustrate this for you. When you got born again, and now that you've walked with the Lord a little bit, and you've gotten some knowledge of the word of God, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are born again, you're on your way to heaven, you're a child of God, so forth and so on. How do you know that? Well, you have a knowledge of the word of God, but also you know it because the spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that, yes, I am a child of God. I am born again. And like Brother Hagin used to say, you could beat me till I'm silly with a baseball bat, and I'm never going to deny that. I am born again, and I am a child of God because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with my spirit. Now, here's my point. Um, if, if the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit 
about the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life, the most important decision you could make throughout eternity, if the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit about that decision, then surely he will bear witness when you need direction about every other decision that you need to make in life. You know, where, where do I... Uh, <clears throat> where do I work? You know, who, who do I have relationships with? Who, you know, what do I, um, you know, what, where do I go? All those types of things. Um, the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit, what you are supposed to do. And this is the top, the number one primary way that God is going to lead you. Now, we're going to go in, in an order, but they're in an order of importance. In other words, this is the most important. We're going to go to the least important and the least used by the Spirit of God. But again, this is the one primary way that God is going to lead you. Now, how is he going to do this? He is going to minister a peace on the inside of you when the decision, when you need to make a decision and the direction that you're heading is right, he will minister to you. And, uh, you know, I've heard it put all kinds of different ways. Uh, the, the only way I know how to, to articulate it is there will be a knowing on the inside of you, this is wrong. This is, uh, you know, kind of, I heard somebody say, might've been Brother Hagen or somebody say, but there will be a a, a, a scratchy on the inside of you. You know, it'll rub you the wrong way on the inside of your spirit, not in your flesh, not in your mind, but down in your spirit that this is not right. This is not the right direction. Go over with me to Colossians chapter three, please. Colossians chapter three. And the reason I, I, I'm emphasizing this so heavily it is okay. Next to the word of God, this is going to be the primary way that God is going to lead you in every decision that you have to make. And um, it, it's just so important that we fine tune our sensitivity to this. And we're going to talk uh, more about this later on, maybe not tonight, but coming in coming lessons. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 uh, in the New King James, it says this, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. The Amplified Bible says this, and let the peace, the soul harmony, which comes from Christ, rule or act as an umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your mind. Okay, so, you know, what does an umpire do? Well, an umpire is uh, in baseball primarily is the one that makes the call, the one that makes the decision. You know, they're standing behind the catcher and they're able to see whether the pitcher throws a, a strike or a ball or whatever the case is. And that umpire has the final say in determining whether that's a strike, whether you're out, whether you're safe, whether it's a ball, his decision is the final determining factor. And Paul said this, let the peace of God be that final determining factor. In other words, let the peace of God be the one that makes the call. Let the peace of God be the one that makes the decision. You know, somebody says, well, you know, I have a, a decision that I need to make and you know, I, I, I have a piece about going in this direction. I don't have a piece about going in this direction. Well, I can pretty much say, I can't tell you definitively, only you and God know that. But if you have a piece in your heart, then this direction over here is the direction that you need to go. Now, you know, and I've, I've been there and maybe you have too, where I, I, I don't know. I don't have clear peace or no peace. It's not clear to me yet. Let me tell you what you do in that moment. Nothing. You stand still 
and you wait until you have peace. Because I promise you, if you step out and move in a direction where you do not have peace in your spirit, I can promise you it will not go well with you. Not because God's mad at you, but because that God is trying to help you and protect you from what he knows is down the road in that particular situation. Okay. Don't ever let money, don't ever let circumstances, don't ever let uh, what looks good in the natural be what determines your decision. Because here's what, let me tell you something about God. It can look absolutely like the worst decision you could make in the natural. But if you have peace in your heart that that's what you're supposed to do, I can promise you God will see to it that it will work out in your favor in spite of the natural circumstances. Okay. You know, I think about, uh, uh, Alan and Judy's daughter, Michelle and son-in-law, Leo, they're missionaries in Senegal and, uh, in, in, uh, West Africa. And, you know, I've talked to many people, including them in the missions field. You know, when you get ready to obey God and step out to do something like that, if you were waiting on the natural circumstances to all fall into place and everything to be right and perfect before you obey God, you're never going to obey God. You take steps like that and you obey God by faith. You know, if the apostle Paul, if, um, you know, we never see one time in his ministry where all the natural circumstances were, were peachy keen, you know, where everything fell into place and everything worked out like it should. No, there was constantly persecution and opposition and things and he had to follow what he knew in his spirit in order to pursue the will of God in spite of the natural circumstances. You know, I'm reminded of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> you know, when it came time for him to start heading back to Jerusalem, you know, for ultimately for uh, the Passover and, of course, for him to die on the cross, uh, you know, his disciples tried to talk him out of it. You remember, uh, he said, we need to go to Jerusalem. And you remember Thomas spoke up and said, yeah, so, uh, so we can die, you know, and, and be stoned to death just, you know, and so forth and so on, because they knew that there was going to be persecution waiting on them when they got to Jerusalem. And Jesus, he ignored all of that and persevered anyway, because he knew in his spirit that that's exactly what he needed to do and where he was supposed to go. So you're not going to be able to depend on natural circumstances to tell you when it's the will of God. You're not going to be able to depend on maybe even, you know, peace in your mind when it's the will of God. You're going to have to learn how to discern the peace of God in your spirit and let that be the deciding factor. Now, there are going to be times <clears throat> when you're going to have uh, the same type warning in your spirit when impending danger is ahead of you. You remember Paul, when he was being uh, transported to Rome and he got put on that ship, he told the captain of the ship, he said, sir, I perceive that there is great danger ahead of us. And he didn't have a vision at that time. He had an angel visit him later on, but he didn't have a vision at that time. He didn't have, you know, uh, this super burning bush experience. He just had a knowing in his spirit, something is wrong here. Something is not going to work out right. And, you know, unfortunately he wasn't the one making the decision and the captain overrode his recommendation and they pursued on anyway. And of course, you know, the story they, they ended up in shipwreck. Okay. So God will even warn you, you know, I don't know if you've ever been faced in a situation to where, um, you know, maybe you were facing a, a business deal and everything on the surface looked great, but right down here, there's something wrong. There's a, I, I just don't feel right in my spirit about this. You meet somebody, a complete stranger. You don't know anything about them. And yet, you know, God is not about revealing people's business to everybody, but 
he will he will warn you on the inside in your spirit and say keep your distance don't don't get into a business relationship with this person don't you know don't get into a a, a closer relationship with this person uh it could be that there's something wrong in their life that god's dealing with them on and they haven't fixed it yet or you know there could be a number of things but god will lead you right down here with that knowing it'll either be a peace to know that it's right or there will be that scratchy that knowing down here rubbing you the wrong way in your spirit to tell you that's not right that's not the right direction to go in okay so we have to learn how to be sensitive to that now um let me just mention this third way that God is going to minister and lead and guide you. And this is, again, going down the ladder of importance. The, the third way God is going to lead you is through the inward voice of your recreated human spirit. Now, these are it's very closely related, but it's not exactly the same as that inward witness. The voice of your spirit we call it our conscience, our conscience, okay? Sometimes, uh, you know, we recall or, or we might refer to this as the still small voice of the Lord speaking to us in our spirit. That's actually your spirit. That's the voice of your spirit working in you, okay? Let me give you an example. Uh John said this in 1 John chapter 3. Don't turn there. Verses 20 and 21. He said this, and this is the Good News Bible. If our conscience convicts us, we know that God is greater than our conscience and that he knows everything. And so, my dear friends, if your conscience does not condemn or convict you, we have courage in God's presence. Now, one thing you need to clear quickly Understand, I don't have time to elaborate on this tonight, but but you need to understand the Holy Ghost does not convict you of sin. He does not convict the born-again believer of sin. He convicts the world of sin. That's what Jesus said in John the 14th chapter. He said that the, the Spirit of God, when he has come, uh, no, excuse me, in the 16th chapter, in verses seven through nine, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. And, and another way of saying it is he will convict the world of their need for Jesus. But he does not convict the believer of sin. That is your own conscience that convicts you of sin. And uh, so that is the voice of your spirit is your conscience that speaks to you, that ministers to you, okay? So when you sin and you know that you've sinned, that's your spirit dealing with you. Now, there's a danger in this in the sense of uh, it is possible, 1 Timothy ch chapter 4 tells us that in the last days, uh, there will be people who allow their consciences to become seared or hard, and they no longer are convicted of sin anymore. And he's talking about believers. And so this is how somebody who is, you know, definitely been born again, they've received Christ, but they can get caught up in a sin. And because they didn't remain tender hearted in that area, their conscience becomes seared and no longer convicts them of that sin. And so that begins a progression that is very, very dangerous, but it is very important that we as believers remain very tender hearted. And we don't have time to talk about it tonight, how you do that, but you know, the word prayer, those types of things will cause your spirit to remain tender. Okay, so I want to just tell you this. The primary way God's going to lead you is through the written word of God. The next way that God is going to lead you is through the inward witness. The next way that God is going to minister to you is through your conscience. Your born again, recreated spirit 
conscience. Okay. And then we'll stop right there and we'll pick up here next week. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.